morning. It is so good to be here with you today. Um, the Lord has used this special church in my life as a source of, an encur- of encouragement time and time and time again. I feel like when I walk in the room, I feel like I think you guys get that source of encouragement all year long, and I get it for one week every other year or something like that, and it's a blessing. So I'm so glad that we get to come together and uh, spend this week together. It's a privilege. I, I honestly feel completely unworthy, um, but I also feel like with great privilege comes great responsibility. So I feel a great responsibility to share the joy of the Lord and to share his word with you this week. And so I'm going to give it the best I got. The Lord will give me the voice that, uh, that he gives me, and we're going to have some fun together. So you're going to notice a little bit of my personality coming out as I share God's word. And my personality is that um, my wife dis- defines it in one word, and she says, extra. I don't even totally know what that means, but she said, you're just extra. Um, I like to rank all of the best things that I experience in this life. And in other words, I, I don't know if you guys have sweet tea up here. Do you guys have sweet tea? Did it make it up here yet? Oh, praise the Lord. What's that? Oh, McDonald's is not on the ranking system. See, here's what I'm going to tell you. I have I rank a lot of the best things that I experience in life. And I'll be like, wow. And I put it in dramatic fashion. And I tell my wife on the day that I die, if somebody were to come up to me and ask me what are the five greatest meals I've ever had, this will be one of those meals. Like, and I don't say it all the time because, I mean, there's a top five. You can't, it, it takes a lot to, to jump at that. But I'll also, I rank like my favorite sweet teas and I rank all kinds of different things. Well, I was thinking to myself, I wanted to let you guys know that on the day that I die, if somebody were to walk up to me and say, Lee, what are the five greatest ministry opportunities that you've ever received. Um, I would say, number one, it would be to serve the Lord at Westside Baptist Church, where I currently serve, and it's where I've been for eight years. I would say number two is Suncoast Baptist Church, a church that I served at for my first eight years in ministry. And you're going you're gonna to think I'm sucking up, but I would say number three is the privilege and the opportunity to come to Northside Baptist Church every other year. Number four, I got a number four. I don't have a number five yet. Number four, I was blessed with the opportunity to um, play in a, in a large production um, at, a, at First Baptist Jacksonville uh, many years ago. And that was an incredible opportunity of learning and growing. Number five, I don't have yet, but I am just so thankful that, that Northside is such a special place. On my deathbed, I will say Northside is one of the greatest places that God has given me the opportunity to minister to. So that's because of you, and I'm so thankful to be here. I am so thankful. I said something funny yesterday, um, and you're just going to have to show me a little grace on this. I said, I've never been in a room of so many people that I love their face and I don't know their name. Like, uh, and so the, just the reality is, many of you I see every time I've come here. This is my fifth time to Vermont, my fourth time to Northside. And I see you, and I remember the moments that we've shared and the great conversations we've had. And I remember your face, and there's a connection of appreciation knowing you're here. And I just don't know your name all the time. So please forgive me of that. Please introduce yourself like this. Hey, I'm Lee, and I'll say... Hey, I'm Lee too. And so don't your name, just tell me your name. All right. And we'll have a good time this week getting to know each other. And uh, I am so grateful for this time. I want to take just a quick moment and kind of introduce myself to you. My name is Lee, as I just said. Um, I serve the Lord as a worship pastor. Um, I do the music ministry. My official title is Minister of Music at a church called Westside Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I've served three different churches in all my years of ministry. Um, I've been here for eight years, as I mentioned, and we are blessed at Westside to have one of the most exciting generational worship ministries, I believe, in the whole world, but at least in the United States. And the reason why I know that is because we have 150 people on our platform leading worship every week, and they range from 12 years old to 92 years old, and we are a multi-generational worship ministry. It's what I was able to finish my uh, doctorate in ministry in two years ago, was on intergenerational worship and bringing all ages together in a way that serves one another for God's glory. I'm going to be talking about that on Wednesday. Wednesday night, and I cannot wait for Wednesday night where I'm going to open God's word and talk about generational worship and how every single generation is called to worship Jesus, only Jesus. In fact, that's the theme for this week. The theme is only Jesus. And I've spent a lot of time processing 
what does that mean? In some contexts, I'm a little bit of a skeptic. So I actually try to say, well, if Jesus is only the answer to everything, I bet I can find an, a question that Jesus is not the answer to. And so I began to kind of like say, well, let me work through this. The reality is that when we say only Jesus, we are not implying that Jesus is the only thing in existence. Um, I, I thought of this really kind of silly illustration, and I'm going to read this here so I don't misspeak this because this is not a phrase I want to misspeak. Some may say, um, oh, I wanna, okay, I want to tell you about my wife. My wife and I have been married for 18 years. Her name is Katie. We have a sweet, happy, and blessed marriage. In fact, the only thing I'm bitter about is that she's not here this week. So uh, I wish that she could be here with you to meet all of you and spend time with you. But some may say that Katie... I'm sorry, that my wife, Katie, is the only woman in my life. All right? Hear me out. Like, Paul's like, (gasps) some may say that my wife, Katie, is the only woman in my life. And if they said that, they would be correct. But does that literally mean that she is the only woman that I am ever in the presence of? No, I mean, I have a daughter, right? I have a mother, both of which are amazing women, but then why would I say that Katie is the only woman in my life? Um, listen, I'm a one woman kind of man, but that does not mean that there are no other women. It just means that there is only one that matters most. Let me explain this. There's only one woman that fills my heart. There's only one woman that I want to be with, to share my life with, to raise my kids with, to dream our future together. There is only Katie. And so for me to say, I am a one woman kind of man, it means that while there are many women in the world, even women in my home, there's only one that holds, that, that, that holds my heart. There is only one. I I just mean that no one else can hold a candle to the value, the love, the joy, the peace, and the satisfaction that Katie brings into my life. In our home, for my heart, it is only Katie. And I would say, I hope that helps you get a grasp of what we mean when we say only Jesus. Because while I say only Katie, there is one exception. And that exception is only Jesus. And so today, we're going to look into God's word. And it's my prayer that as we process this theme for the week of only Jesus, we recognize that there are many other elements to our life. There are jobs. But guess what? Our jobs are directly impacted by Jesus. There are our families. Our families are directly impacted by Jesus. There's our church. There's areas that we serve, ways that we give, things that we do. There's stresses and struggles. And every one of those things are impacted by Jesus alone. And so today, we begin our first part of this weekly, of this series for the week. I'm going to be talking about all kinds of stuff this week tonight. I'm going to talk about how Jesus is our only hope in times of terror. In the last week, we've seen some wild things on the news. In fact, until the last 24 hours, I was kind of glued to the news watching all the things that are happening, and it's terrifying. Do you realize that the Bible gives us a historical understanding and context for what we see in the news and how we can understand it? We're not going to get political tonight. We're going to be biblical, and we're going to study what God's Word says about how we have hope in times of terror. We don't have to walk around scared, we can trust in the hope of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk this week about how Jesus is our only foundation with which we can build our lives upon. He is the only one. If you're building your foundation on anything else, it is sinking sand and you will miss out on God's plan for your life. This week, we're going to talk about how Jesus is the only peace that we can experience through storms. I've seen just a handful of of burdened comments from your pastor, um, whether it be on, on his social media or on in conversations we've had where he just ha- talks about burdens that he has for the churches, for the church. And I understand that many of you are going through storms, storms of difficulty. Jesus is the peace that you need. So I hope you'll come on Tuesday night as we talk about that. And then Wednesday night, we're going to talk about Jesus is the only one that we worship. So as we continue in this passage, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them up to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 8 is where we're going to begin reading. Acts chapter 3. Today I'm preaching a message and it is called Jesus, the only name by which we are saved. Jesus, the only name by which we are saved. Will you please stand with me as we read the word of God together? I'm going to read Acts chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1, I'll read 1 through 8, and then I'll call out a few other verses I'd like you to read with me. 
Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 says, Now Peter and John went up to the temple together, I'm sorry, went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. I've written in my notes beside my Bible that that's about three o'clock in the afternoon. It goes on and it says, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him and with John, said, Look on us. And he gave him heed unto them, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. Peter was a preacher. He's like, Listen, I ain't got any money, all right? But what I do have, I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. You already know enough about my personality that I love that he was not just like, uh, like a new horse that was just born. He wasn't, he was leaping and jumping around praising the Lord. Verse nine says, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. Now we're going to jump to the very next chapter where it's amazing because I'm going to just give you this quick one sentence summary. And that is after they do this miracle, they receive an audience. The audience turns into judgment. Some of the people accept Christ. In fact, many of them do. We'll talk about that. But then many of the people, um, the, the leaders, the spiritual authorities have problems with them. They take them into captivity and then they have to answer for what they're going to say. Look down at verse seven and it says this. And when they had set them in the midst, this is Peter and John. They asked them, by what power... Or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Read verse 12 and we'll pray. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the only name by which we are saved. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this time that we can come together, open your word, and receive your Holy Spirit working in our hearts, working in our lives. God, I pray that you'll show us by the example of Peter and John how the gospel impacted their life and how it transformed the lives of so many others, how this moment became such an integral part of the momentum of the early church. And God, we want the gospel to do the same work in our midst here. God, just like the gospel gave life and enthusiasm and healing in this time, we want that to happen here in our time, in this room, in this church, this very morning. And so, God, we pray that you'll work in our hearts. Help us to listen and respond to your word and to your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This entire passage of scripture from Acts chapter 3 and 4 sets up an understanding for the momentum that takes place in the early days of the church. I need you to understand this. It is our passion and our desire that God is not done working in this world. It is our passion and our heart's desire that God will start and do something mighty and powerful even here in northern Vermont. Listen, that is a passion. I'll tell you, when I stand yesterday at a men's conference and I see a room full of men that are praising the Lord with all of their heart and soul, singing out so much that I recorded it and like had to go post it and say, listen to these men of Vermont singing. It makes me wonder if they're willing to stand solid and strong in the Lord with confidence and courage and sing and give praise what God can and will do here. That's our desire is not to look back and see all the mighty things that God did in the church in the past, but to say, God, what will you do in the church in the present? God, how can you work in our lives, in our homes, in my heart? And how can you transform us to be the believers, the worshipers that you would have us be? Well, that's what we see in the life of Peter and John. 
We're going to look at just a few things today about Peter and John. And I want you to catch this. I want you to see how the gospel, when I say gospel, I mean the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right. It is the, the essence of our salvation and what Jesus did when he came and he died on the cross. Listen, Peter and John witnessed the gospel and it changed who they were. It changed what they did. It changed how they live. Let me ask you this. Ladies and gentlemen, has the gospel transformed your life? Can you look back and say, I remember I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see my life has been transformed by the gospel. When you look at the life of Peter and John, there's no doubt that their life has been transformed by the gospel. And this is just a side note. It's amazing that really Peter's life wasn't even transformed until the gospel was fulfilled. Do you remember that? Because Peter, even in the midst of the gospel taking place, as Jesus goes to the cross, he turns his back. But once he saw the resurrection, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it changed everything. And he said, now the gospel impacts me and I cannot even help but take the message of what Jesus has done and share it with the world. So their lives were impacted. It is interesting as you read, you see in Acts this incredible formation of the church being built and of Pentecost and all these things happening. And then you get to chapter four or chapter three that we just read And it almost seems to me like Peter and John woke up one day and they're like, okay, well, Pentecost was great. What are we going to do now? And they're like, I don't, I don't know. I thought you knew what we were going to do. And Peter's like, no, John, I thought you were going to say what we're going to do. I don't, I don't know what to do. They're like, okay, well, let's, um, let's just do what we always do. Let's just go worship. We'll go to the temple. All right. Let's just go to the temple and worship God. And maybe he'll make it clear what our next step is. Listen, a lot of times in life, we want to know what the big picture is. God, tell me where I'm going to be in 10 years. God says, no, you just wake up today and you do what you're supposed to do today. Praise the Lord. You guys have done it. All right. You got up and you came into the house of God saying, God, I want to hear your words spoken. I want to be moved by your spirit. You have come into this place today saying, God, I want the gospel to change and impact my life. And that's what happened with Peter and John in this passage. They get up. They say, you know what? We're going to go to the temple. So we read there again in verse one. And I'm going to review some of these things and talk through them together. It says they went up together to the temple at the hour, first, at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them who entered the temple. So there's an interesting thing here, which brings me to my first point, and that is this. Listen, Peter and John worshipped God. You can put that in that blank there if you take notes. They worshiped God. By the way, listen, when we are impacted by the gospel, we cannot help but worship God. Do you know what the word worship means? It means respond. In fact, if you want a full technical, intellectual writing out for a thesis project definition, we would say that worship is our response to the work of God through the gospel in our lives. In other words, it's everything that we do in response to God because of what he has done for us. That is worship. That's why we come together and sing. But the singing is not the only worship. It's just the, in my opinion, the most fun worship. So uh, we get to sing truths about God. But listen, the preaching is also worship. The reason I'm standing here is in response to what God has done for me. And I get the privilege of sharing the, the fire and the excitement of what he has given me. The reason why you are sitting here is worship because you're responding to what God has done in your life. That is what worship is. It is our response. And in this passage, we see that Peter and John, they worshiped because they woke up and they said, we are not really sure what the big plan is, but we know that we need to go to the temple. On the way to the temple, they saw this beggar and they offer, they look down and they see them and they offer to help. Let me, okay, I want to explain this, which is just fascinating. What is the greatest commandment? It says in my Bible here, Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. It tells us the two most important parts of the the commandment. And if you take all the Ten Commandments, they fall into two categories. Those categories are to love God and to love, love other people. Yes, that's it. Love God. That's the greatest commandment. And then the second is like it. And the second commandment is to love people. 
As I look at this passage, I see Peter and John, they wake up and they say, what are we going to do together today? And they say, you know what? Let's just do the greatest commandment. Let's love God. Number one, let's go to the temple. We're going to go to the temple and worship. So they're headed to the temple to love God. As they're headed to the temple to love God, it says in verse four, Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said, look on us. You get that? You see in that one verse that you see the great commandment being fulfilled, that they love God, so they're going to the temple. As they're on their way to the temple, they see this one who is in need, and they love others, and he puts his eyes on this others and says, hey, look up here, I can help you. Now you see, this is fascinating in this passage, because in verse 5 it says, and he gave heed unto them, that's the beggar, the, the, the lame man, the crippled man, expecting to receive something from them. Oh man, that's exciting. They saw Peter, this, this crippled man saw Peter and John and immediately expected something from them. That convicted me. He said, man, am I living in a way that when people see me, they expect something? They say, hey, you know what? I, I bet this person has been in the word. I bet you he has something he can share. I bet you this person has experienced the testimony of God's goodness. I bet you they have a testimony that they can share. When people see you, do they expect something from the way that the gospel has worked in your life? As we go on and it says in verse six, then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Um, this morning I was, re- I was rereading this passage and I thought to myself, voice and words have I very few, but in the name of Jesus, I'll give you what I got this morning. Um, it's holding up right now, but it's just a powerful thing to think of. God gives us what we need. You know, in this passage, the crippled man has a very obvious need, and yet he asked for something temporal, something that is just going to come and flee away in a very temporal and leave him in the same state of desperation. Do you understand that? He is crippled, but he's asking for money. Money is not going to buy him legs to walk. He's asking for the wrong thing. Church, you know what? So often we come to God and we ask for the wrong thing. We say, oh God, give me this, give me that. I remember when I was a teenager and I prayed for this girl or for that A on the test, you know? And now I look back and say, oh God, thank you for not giving me exactly what I asked for because you knew what I really needed. In this passage, Peter and John, they saw the crippled man and he's asking for money, but he's asking for the wrong thing. And Peter says, listen, money is not what you need. And even if it was, I don't have it, but I will help you with what you need. And that is in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Peter, and by the way, they did that in response to what God had done in their lives. They did that in response to the gospel working in their lives. Number one, Peter and John worshiped God. They were busy doing what they knew to do and keeping their eyes on Jesus and keeping their eyes on others. That is exactly where we need to be, church. We need to be keeping our eyes on Jesus, coming to worship him in everything we do on Sundays and every other day of the week. And we need to keep our eyes on others, looking for opportunities to share the gospel with them. Number two, we see that Peter and John served God. Peter and John served God. That's verses six through eight where we looked at, and I just jumped out of my order, my points, but it's okay. Number one, they responded to God. Number two, they served God. And you can see several examples in this passage, but not only in this passage, throughout their whole lives where they said, you know what, we're gonna serve God. When we're unsure what to do, we're gonna serve. Um, Peter and John are on their way to the temple minding their own business, and that's when the Lord gave them an opportunity in front of them to serve. They had their mind focused on serving others. Church, listen, let me ask you this. Has the gospel impacted your life enough that you are willing to serve? I came in this morning and I saw Everett walking around. Everett, I got to meet him. He's passing out these bulletins and I thought, man, that is a servant. I told the men yesterday at our, bio, at our men's conference that the, the word of God makes it very clear. If you want to be the greatest among others, the way to do that is not to proclaim yourself as the greatest. The way to do that is not to tell everybody to come and serve you. The way to be the greatest is to serve others. I love that this is a church that literally has young people walking around serving, even young Everett. I had an uncle Everett, so I liked his name. I was like, hey, I love that name. Had a good time. But listen, that's a servant. What about you? We got young people serving. Are you serving somewhere? Are you serving the Lord in this church? Has the gospel impacted you in a way that you're willing to get up and serve? 
I hope it has. I'd love seeing um, different people in different areas, on, from the piano to the singers on the stage, to people running the media and all of those things. We have servants, but I guarantee you that there are needs and opportunities for more servants in this church. So today you can look around and say, you know what? The gospel has impacted my life. You know what? I'd say it as a joke earlier, but you know what? I was talking, I said, you need a bass guitar up here. If you play bass guitar, you need to serve the Lord with that instrument. Come up here and play. If you have a gift, then take that gift and say, you know what? I don't, maybe I can't play the piano and I can't do this or that, but what I have, I will give. What I can do, I will give because God has given every one of you an ability, a specialty that you can use for his glory. Some of your specialty is just a simple smile, but that smile is beautiful and it is powerful and it lights up other people's days. What is your gift? What is what has God given you that you can use to serve and to give to others? Peter and John worshiped God. We saw that in the first five verses. Peter and John served God. That was their response to the gospel in their lives. We go on and we see this next part that Peter and John preached the gospel. Oh, man, I love this. They preach like nobody's business. It says in verse nine, the people saw him walking and praising God and look down at verse, um, really, the next few verses talk about, oh, I, I'm going to read it. Read verse 10. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. They remembered who that guy was. I mean, he, there was a testimony there just in the fact that he was walking and leaping and praising. This is the guy who's been sitting by the gate his entire life. We know who he is. We know what he was. And we know how his life has been transformed by the gospel. When people see your life transformed, it is like a magnet. It draws people in with nothing else, with curiosity. And in this passage we see, and the people were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. They were amazed. Are you kidding me? That looks just like the guy who spent his whole life laying right there asking for money. They're like, no, no, that is him. That really is. That's the same guy. No, how's he walking? What in the world just happened? And so they all gather around. Well, guess what? When they gather around, Peter says, here's our chance. We thought we were just going to the temple to worship today, but God has brought an entire multitude of people for us to preach the gospel to. It says in verse 11, and as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. And they were curious, and it says in verse 12, and when Peter saw it, He answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness, we made this man to walk? Oh, he starts preaching. And you know what? He doesn't preach his glory. He starts preaching the glory of God. He says, you guys are all acting surprised, but I've seen God do big and mighty things way bigger than this. In fact, I don't even know why y'all are shocked because... It's not us that did this, but it is God and the power of God through the name of Jesus Christ that accomplished this. Peter and John preached the gospel. There's two contexts here as well. And I want to show one is in chapter three and one is in chapter four. They preach Christ in the streets. This is, in my mind, an an example of an informal setting. They saw an opportunity come up right in front of them and they just shared Jesus This was not from a platform. This was not in front of a classroom or in front of the church preaching. This was there in the streets. People walked up and were curious, and they took advantage of the opportunity to share what the gospel had done in their lives, and they shared it with others. You know what? You get opportunities like that all the time. Here needs, this is what your prayer needs to be. Lord, help me to be aware of the opportunities that you give me to share Jesus. God, help me to be aware of the opportunities that you give me to be a light of the gospel, for to share the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then number two, your prayer should be, God, help me to be bold and confident. And when that opportunity comes up, help me to respond. Help me to share Jesus in those moments, just like Peter and John did. There's two contexts of preaching. Number one, they preach on the streets and in an informal setting, just like you have the opportunity to do. But then number two, they preach... Before a group of spiritual leaders, they go really before the the local political arena. You get to chapter four and in chapter four, it says that they were thrown in prison for the nights. It says that the rulers and the elders and the scribes, the high priests, 
um, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many of the kindred and high priests were gathered together at Jerusalem, and they sat down in the midst of them and began to preach the gospel. Okay, I don't know about you, but that's intimidating, all right? That's intimidating. It's one thing to just talk to some people on the streets, but now it's like, hey, we know what you did yesterday. We're going to put you over here, and you're going to answer for what took place. Peter and John took opportunity, took advantage of the opportunity to preach the gospel. For some of you, you're only going to get to preach the gospel through your testimony and through informal settings. But some of you, God has given the gift to preach the gospel in front of the scribes and the elders and and the, the leaders, spiritual leaders. He has given you that opportunity, that gift. And you need to surrender to the Lord and say, God, if you call me to preach to, to 10, I'll do it. If you call me to preach to 100, I'll do it. If you call me to preach to thousands, I surrender. I will do what you've asked me to do. I believe that God calls his children to preach. And when you are called, you must respond to that calling so that you can fulfill the work of what he wants to accomplish in the gospel in your life. As we continue on, I want to share this final point here. And that is that Peter and John walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me go through these real quickly again, just to refresh. I think we have the time. Peter and John were impacted by the gospel, by what they saw, by what they experienced. They were impacted by the gospel, and so then, number one, they worshipped God. They responded to him in everything they did. Number two, they served God. They looked for opportunities to serve, to serve at the temple, to serve the people on the streets. They were always serving to share the impact of the gospel on their life. Number three, Peter and John preached the gospel. They preached on the streets. They preached before leaders in high positions with spiritual authorities. They preached in all these different contexts. And we're going to look more about that preaching right now. But number four is that Peter and John walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter and John walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to spend the rest of our morning today looking at this incredible interaction between Peter and John and this group of elders who are um, interrogating them. They're being interrogated about the, the things that they have done. And it is fun. I'm, tell, I'm telling you, it's fun. We're going to read some stuff in here that's like, oh, he did not just say that. And yes, he did. So let's look into the word of God, starting in verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst of the people, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? That's incredible. Where did you get the authority to heal this man? We know the only authority to heal is through Jesus Christ. And so Peter is like, I mean, I'm not even a major baseball player. My kid is, and I know Noah's a baseball player, right? I mean, this is just one of those perfect, like easy, easy pitches. What do you call that? Just, he just tossed it up there for him so that he could just crush this thing. Because literally the man asked the question and says, oh, he throws him a softball. He just says, here you go. Hey, by what means did you get the power or in whose name did did the power to change this man's life come where did that come from oh it's incredible look at this with me verse eight um you got to catch this okay you got to catch this the softball was thrown up and even with the softball there peter did not respond in his own strength It was not like, oh, I'll take, hey, God, you sit on the sideline. I got this one because I know how to answer this one. No, 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 no. This this thing was about to get blasted out of the ballpark. And the reason why is because look at this. It says in verse 8, then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. This is not Peter speaking. This is the Holy Spirit giving him the most brilliant, epic, mic drop response you have ever heard. I'm just telling you, it is a mic drop. He is just like, all right, you asked for it, so I'm about to give it to you. And here's what he says. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here 
before you whole. Um, all right, so the King James Version is my, is my heart language. It's what I memorized scripture in my whole life. Um, I will say, as I read this, it is beautiful. It's, it's perfect. But I don't catch the humor that was intended when I read this. Um, and maybe not even humor. There's, there's, a con, there's an element of sarcasm. because I want, And I can show you the words. I can show you exactly how it's worded here. It says, if we this day are be examined of the good deed done, Peter says, okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. So we're in trouble right now? Like, you're going to question us right now? And they're like, yes, we want to know by which power did you do this? And they're like, okay, hold on. Let me get this straight. So we are in trouble for healing this man. And they're like, well, we want to know by what power you did it. And he's like, okay, all right, I'll tell you by what power I did it. Since you're trying to make us feel like we are getting interrogated for healing this man and making him whole, we did it in the power of the one and only named Jesus Christ. And then he goes, like, you remember him, right? And they're like, oh, oh, no. Oh, no, what have we done? And he's like, yeah, remember, he's the one that you crucified. He's the one that you beat and mocked. Remember, you remember that one right there? Do you understand the contrast of what's happening? I, I want to say it a little bit clear just to bring it down. He's saying, we're in trouble for healing And you are the one to come and tell us we're in trouble for healing. When in reality, the one who did the healing, you are responsible for for tearing apart, for beating and for crucifying. Isn't that magnificent? As I read that, it just makes me kind of get chills all over. That's why it's a mic drop because he's like, okay, we'll tell you exactly who it is. The, The one that gives the power for the healing is the one that you crucified. It's kind of like Peter is saying, I'm in the business of healing with Jesus Christ. You're in the business of killing and destroying. You want to hurt people and throw them up on a cross, innocent people, whenever we are here to take the lowly and to lift them up and to provide healing and salvation in their lives. Oh, church, come on. You need to get excited about that. We are on the side of that mic drop. We are on the side of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're the lowly, you're the cripple, spiritually speaking, you feel like, I don't even know how to get up and walk. I've been living this whole life just just figuratively sitting here on the ground, not able to do anything for myself. Then guess what? Salvation comes to you in in the power of Jesus Christ. The one who was crucified, died, was buried, and rose again. That's the one that you get the power from. He is the final mic drop, the final authority. It goes on. He's not even done yet. I mean, Peter goes on. He hits it there. That's just his introduction. And he goes on and he says in verse 11, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the cornerstone. Um, One guy that gave an illustration of this, and there's a lot of... um, in different interpretations of what that means. The one I prefer, I'm going to share you the one I prefer. It could be wrong, but I just love it. It's this idea of you're building this building, and just for the sake of easiest to understand, picture a pyramid. And they're sitting there, and they have the very capstone of this pyramid, and the whole time they're going like, okay, where does the capstone go? Oh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't go there. Throw it off to the side. And they, like, they're building the first layer, and the second layer, and the third layer. And they're going through with the stone saying, oh, this stone, they just did it wrong. It doesn't fit. This stone is is worthless. It's messed up. Just throw it in the waste pile. So they take this one stone and they throw it off to the side and they continue building and building and building and they get to the top and they're like, okay, it's almost done, but there's something is missing. Something is critically missing. What is it? And they're all standing around going, I don't know. We counted all the pieces and we we put all the pieces together. We don't know what's missing. And then somebody goes, wait, 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 what happened? What happened to the one piece? What happened to the, the head cornerstone? The one that was Oh, it's, we threw it away over there. Let's go back and get it. And they go over, they get the cornerstone, they bring it back and they put it on there. And then you see the whole picture revealed. The whole understanding is clear when Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone is put at the top and it all makes sense. You know what? That's exactly what they did. When they took Jesus and threw him in a cross, they said, you are worthless. They threw him out. And the whole time God was saying, oh no, he's not worthless. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the most important part of this picture. He is the one that will make 
everything whole. And that is what Jesus wants to do in your life. As you continue on, verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Man, we as, as broken children of God or as broken lost people, we live this life trying to find salvation. Um, I was hanging out with our youth band last week. Uh, I mentor a group of students that are in our youth band. In fact, I've been praying for them all day because they are leading the whole worship today at our church in Jacksonville. And uh, I'm going to be like finding out. How, actually, they're probably texting right now. Um, but uh, it's a sweet thing. I'm mentoring them. This past week as we were together, one of them was like, did you hear that the lottery was like $1.7 billion? And so I was like, wow, that's crazy. And we went around this conversation. It's funny. It's fun to dream about what would you go buy. The first thing I would go buy is a truck. I would go buy a truck. I've, I've always said I'm not a real man until I get a truck. And when I come up here, I'm really intimidated by that because it seems like everybody has a truck. except. So someday I'm going to get a truck. But here's the thing. We do think that if I just get the money, if I get all the money in the world, that'll solve things. That'll give me the satisfaction I want. If my wife would just be better, if my husband would just do what I want, then it would be better. If my kids would just obey me, then it would fix everything. No, listen, salvation won't come in those things. Salvation will not come from anything else but the name of Jesus. He is the chief cornerstone, the one you crucified. That's the one that gives the power for salvation and for healing and for wholeness. As we continue on in this passage, I just highlighted a few verses that I want to read out to you before we're done. And these passages say this. Um, Look down at verse 18. Verse 18 of chapter 4 says this. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. Let me give some context there. Um, Peter drops the hammer. I mean, he just, it's hardcore, his message of truth to them. And they don't like it. All right, they realize, oh, we are in trouble. In fact, oh, I got to go back and read this. Listen, verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. (laughs) I mean, these were like all the spiritual leaders. And once Peter does and says all these things, I picture their jaws dropping. They're standing there just watching and all of a sudden he says these things and they're just like, like, they don't even know. And one guy's like, hey, pick your chin up off the floor. Like, you're embarrassing us. Like, at least pretend like we expected this. They marveled. They're like, we don't even know how these ignorant men, Peter and John, who do they think they are? How did they just school us so bad when it comes to the truth? So they step over to the side and they say, huddle, 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 spiritual leader, huddle. They're all standing around. Okay, what are we going to do? And they're like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell him he's not allowed to talk anymore. Just tell him he's not allowed to preach, that he has to leave. Um, We can't throw him in jail anymore. By the way, why couldn't they throw him in jail? This is cool. Look at verse four. Because the number of men that just believed and accepted in Jesus Christ were 5,000. Are you kidding me? Peter is there in the streets sharing the gospel. 5,000 people get saved. Then the spiritual leaders come out to stop things and they realize uh, guys, we're outnumbered right now, okay? Um, 5,000 people believe them, so we need them to, sh- to stop talking. We need them to leave, but if we arrest them, we might have a whole like civil war going on. So we cannot have the unrest. Let's just get them out of town, and everybody will go back to their old way of living. And so you see in this passage, it says that they called them over, and they said, hey, we're commanding you, verse 18, not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus, Okay, we won't arrest you because we're kind of scared to do that right now. But we just want to tell you, you're not allowed to speak or preach about Jesus anymore. And Peter and John answered in verse 19 and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. In other words, so you're telling us that you think we should obey you and not God? I don't think so. I don't think so. We're not going to do that. If God says it, We're going to do it. All right, we're going to obey him and not you. And it goes on and it says in verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and which we have heard. That's, remember I said that earlier. Peter can't even help it. His life has been changed by what Jesus has done in him and around him. And he can't even help but share it with others. I want to go to my conclusion this morning. And in my conclusion, um, I want, to, I want to give two, two thoughts, two main thoughts, and that is number one. If you're here today 
and you have not experienced the salvation of Jesus Christ. He is the only name, the only way you will experience salvation. It is only through Jesus Christ. Romans 3.23 explains to us that every person has lived and sent, for all have come short of the glory of God. That means every single person has sinned, has missed the mark of God's calling in our lives. If you're here today and you say, you know, I just don't know how this applies to me, then just pause on everything else I've said and just say this. You know what? I do recognize that I'm a sinner. I have served myself instead of serving others. I've put myself first at the cost of others. I've cheated, lied, stolen, whatever it is. I've sinned. I've missed God's mark of perfection. So what hope is there? Well, listen, salvation comes by Jesus alone. And it says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. The penalty for your sin is death. That word death means separation eternally, which means God's going to be in heaven and you're not. All right, that's what it means. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It says in Romans 5.8 that God commendeth. That word commendeth is a big word that means he displayed or he showed his love for you. And that even though you were a dirty, rotten sinner, Jesus Christ came down and he died on the cross. He took the payment of your sin and he made a way so that you could be back with God. And then Romans 10.9 says, it's the word of faith which we preach. It says that if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, 13 says, call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. When it says here in verse four, chapter four, verse four, that the number of men was about 5,000 of them who believed. Here's what that means. It means Romans 10, 13, uh, 5,000 of them. By the way, that's just the men, not even the women, the children heard. And they said, I will call upon the name of the Lord. They called out to him. They said, I believe. So I will respond. Can you remember a day or a time and a place where you called upon the name of the Lord for your salvation? Just last uh, two, two Sundays ago, I got pulled aside after church and a sweet lady from London um, was in our service and she brought two of her kids with her and she came over and said, hey, my uh, son needs to get saved. Uh, actually, she said, my son needs to get baptized. And I said, great, let's all come over to the side. We came over and talked and I went through the gospel with him and I said, um, has there been a time where you've done this? And he says, Yes, I was in a car and the car started to swerve and we felt like the car was going to flip over and it was a wreck. And in that moment, I said, oh, God, help me. And I said, okay, Um, okay, like, were you just taking God's name in vain or was it like like a prayer of confession? I don't know. And so I went through it again and just said, hey, listen, let me ask you according to what scripture says. Did you in that moment recognize Jesus has come. He loved me so much. God the Father sent his only begotten son to pay for my sin. And I will put my faith and trust in the gospel of what Jesus did through the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And he said, no, I I didn't understand or, or, or believe any of that. And I said, well, do you believe that today? And he said, absolutely. And so right there, he prayed and he received Jesus Christ. Listen, what I, the beauty of that is I don't know if he got saved whenever he just called out in a moment of terror, or I don't know if he got saved in that moment there with me, but I do know he is saved, period. And I would say to you, if you don't have a time or a date or a place, something that you remember about a moment where you said, I believe, I believe in Jesus. I'm not talking about an abstract moment where there was some moment of terror and you just said, oh God, I'm talking about a moment where you say, I choose to believe in what Jesus has done for me. If you don't have that moment, I pray that today will be your day where you respond in obedience to the work of God. And then for those of you who are here and you say, you know what, I have done that. I remembered the time and the place where God worked in my life, where God called me to salvation. Then I have just a few takeaways that I want to ask you about here. Number one, that is this. Do you see that Peter and John gave what they had for the glory of God? They gave what they had for the glory of God. Church, are you giving what you have been given for the glory of God? God has given you something, every single one of you. Maybe, you know what breaks my heart is that some of you feel like you're here and you think, I've got nothing to give. Oh, I promise you do. I promise you do. God has given you something. God has given you a testimony that you can pour into the life of somebody else. God has given you experience. Maybe God has given you money. Maybe God has given you time. Maybe God has given you love and patience. 
Whatever it is, God has given you something. My question is, are you using what God has given you for his glory? Number two, they shared Jesus consistently. They shared Jesus consistently. That's convicting. I think of all the opportunities that I've missed out on on when I had a chance to share Jesus. I hope that my kindness and my smile and my love and my joy at least gave a light of the gospel. But I wonder if I could have done more. I wonder if I could have stepped out into the streets and shared what I've seen and witnessed that Jesus has done for me. Oh, Lord, bring me back to a spirit that says, Acts 4.20, we cannot but speak the things for which we have seen and heard. I can't even help it. I can't even help but share what God has done in my life. And then number three, they walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we will um, discount, we will discount all the things that we can do for God because we feel like we're not good enough or because we feel like we're not eloquent. You remember Moses? He wasn't eloquent, but when he walked with the power of God on his life, he was able to do amazing things. Just yesterday, we looked at Samson. Samson, he made a lot of bad choices, but guess what? He walked and he was filled with the power of God. And even in the midst of his bad choices, God did incredible things through his life. God's power is marvelous and it can, it can work in ways that you've never even imagined. So I pray that you will say, God, I want to walk and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Christian, what if we walk through our day, our week, taking every step, speaking every word according to the direction of the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine what we could expect from God? Can you imagine what we could expect him to do in our lives? The thousands of people that may turn to him and respond to the working of the gospel in their lives because of what he has done in our life. I hope you'll pray with me this morning. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? This morning, I just want to take just a few more moments together. And I want to ask you um, to reflect on how the Holy Spirit has worked in your life. What has the Holy Spirit showed you today? Has he given you a reminder that you need to preach on the streets? Has he given you a reminder that you need to surrender to the calling of God in your life? Has the Holy Spirit worked in your life and reminded you that you need to worship? That you need to stop worrying about what's going to happen 10 years from now, but maybe you need to just focus on what the Lord would have you do now in this very moment. Maybe you're here and you'd say, I, I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in my life because I've never responded to him. It's our prayer, our desire that you would respond to him today and say, I will not wait another day. Just yesterday at our men's event, Josh said at the end of the day, you have time, but you don't have a lot of time. So why not respond to him? Respond to his gift of salvation today. Don't make him wait any longer. Pray with me and then I'm going to have... Pastor Dan, come up and conclude this invitation. Father, I thank you for your, the time that we have in your word today. God, I pray that you will move in our midst to work in our hearts. I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the boldness of Peter and John. I thank you for their testimony, their willingness to honor and glorify you in ways that exceed our wildest imagination. God, when I read their story, they have something that I want. I want that boldness. I want that faithful walk of worship. I want that faithful service where I love you and I love others and I'm always looking to give what I have to accomplish the work of the gospel in the lives of others. God, I pray that you will speak in our hearts today. Help us to be sensitive to your voice. Help us to respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.